I'm Kristen Ludlow from NBA Inside Stuff, and you're listening to the Double Clutch Podcast. Here comes Lonzo. Lonzo all the way. Lonzo scores. Booker runs into Zeta, puts it up, and that's it. He's got the record. Back to the box, up and down to the rack. Look at the finish by De'Aaron Fox. Off the Griffin, flies inside, and got it to go. Warriors on the attack. Curry, three. Again, Stephen Curry. Hello there, guys, and welcome to the latest edition of the Double Clutch Podcast. I'm Joe Holbert, hosting for the first time in quite a while, and I'm joined from over across the pond by Jamie Oppenheim. As always, guys, I apologize for my Americanness. <laughs> no, it's, it's good to get some different people on. Everyone has sort of different experiences, and we've got a nice big roster now, which is brilliant. And the, we're going to be talking about some teams who have undergone drastic roster changes to some extent this offseason. We're going to be talking about Pacific Division. Now, for anyone who's not as sad as I am and memorized the divisions, that's the Lakers, the Clippers, the Warriors, the Suns, and the Sacramento Kings. And what we're going to do today is we're going to go from uh, top down. So we're going to start with the Warriors because I'm not being funny. I'm not sure there's a lot we can say that hasn't already been said. So I guess we'll start with the big question, Jamie. Can they... I mean, are they the best team ever or are they going to become the best team ever? I mean, where do you stand on that? Because we know they're the best team in the league. I'm not going to ask you that. But in the bigger picture, how good are these guys? Yeah, I think that's actually a very fair place to start. Um, They might very well be the best team I've ever seen. Um, They they manhandled LeBron. I mean, they, they let LeBron go crazy in the finals and it didn't matter. I mean, that's just obscene to me. I just don't get how that's possible. So... Um, they're probably the best team I've ever seen. Um, I, I just can't see them not winning another championship this year. Where do you stand? Yeah, I'm with you on that as well, purely because like, I think LeBron last year, I think that's the best he can play in the finals. Like He was ridiculous. And that was against three amazing top 10 defenders in Draymond Clay and Iguodala and God Durant as well. So yeah, I, and they've also got Isaiah Thomas now, who the Warriors are sat. I really like Isaiah Thomas, but they're going to bully the crap out of him, aren't they? Absolutely. I mean, that's not a good matchup for, for Cleveland there now. Um, I mean, even Kyrie, who's much bigger, it still didn't matter. Um, it's just, there's just not, it's, I don't know how you get enough firepower to match up with these guys. It's not even just Cleveland. If you were starting a team from scratch and had all the assets in the world, how do you accumulate that level of talent? It's just, it's mind boggling. Well, there's a lot of people who think you could, uh, let's say, you know, all the other 29 teams released all their players. Um, there's some who believe you couldn't build a five that would beat them. It's tough. I mean, if you put, if you want to start with LeBron, Giannis, Anthony Davis, yeah, you're you're pretty close, but um, it's still a really tight series. Yeah, I know. It's and. And the main talking point that I wanted to get on is they've somehow improved because their bench has got even better. They drafted Jordan Bell, who who I know is preseason. I Glenn Rice won the preseason award two years ago. <laughs> but Jordan Bell has looked good. Uh, the Bulls, I think, did, was it cash considerations they traded him for? It was $2.5 million, which is what they paid Dwayne Wade to go play for Cleveland. <laughs> Oh my God, yes. I mean, there's all those jokes on NBA Twitter, you know, saying that Jordan Bell's look really good and cash considerations is going to make his debut for the, <laughs> for the Bulls on opening night. But they're, 
But, I mean, Bell, yeah, he looks to be a sort of rangy defender, which is you don't really need to be that offensively sound in that roster. But they signed Nick Young, who had a pretty good year, actually, in the, with the Lakers. They signed George Niang, who I caught a bit of in the paces. I think he can be okay as a sort of 10 or 11. And they signed Omri Caspi as well, who I'm a lot higher on than most people. It's quite scary they managed to get better with their limited cap room, wasn't it? Absolutely. And they're still getting better internally um you have patrick mccaw who i absolutely love he might be my favorite under the radar player in the entire league um he's a do-it-all guard they're actually running him at point guard at six foot seven on with that second unit um and there's also some kind of positive vibes with damian jones who was a first round pick a couple years ago at center so um that bench is is reloaded the way that most teams are trying to reload their starting lineup it's just it's frightening yeah i mean they've got you know even if let's say it's unlikely that Curry, Durant, and Clay would be off. You've now got Nick Young, who I know he's a bit of a character, but he's a very <laughs> good three-point shooter. He shot forty percent last year mm-hmm. in a team with bad floor spacing. You could argue bad coaching. I mean, this is—it's just a—it's a matchup in heaven for Nick Young, isn't it? Absolutely. And Patrick Young, uh, Patrick McCall, also another shooter who could just slide right in when one of the guys wants to take it a night off. So um, they're going bombs away. First unit, bombs away. Second unit, it's just, just if you're an opposing team, just wave the white flag and go on to the next game. Yeah, and we're going to wave the white flag on the Warriors on this podcast now because there's not much more I can say. They are great. They're going to win north of 70 games, and they're likely going to a finals barring barring injury, which weirdly hasn't happened to Curry because he was very injury-prone in his early career. But we're going to go on to the Clippers. Now, the Clippers are a team who a lot of people don't like, mainly because of the constant whining of Dot Rivers, of DeAndre Jordan, of uh, Blake Griffin. But I think people are sleeping on them. Would you agree with that? Or do you think they're going to crash back down to earth after the departure of Chris Paul? I could go either way on this one, actually. I think that they're one of the most two-faced teams in the league. Um, I think it's they're going to be the team that it's however they balance out their their lineups, their five man lineups. That's going to depend. That's going to determine how well they they play. Can they get enough balance of offense and defense on the court at the same time? What I mean by that is, you kind of need um, Teodosic and Danilo Gallinari on the court for for scoring purposes. Now that Chris Paul's gone, um, but you don't want them on the court at the same time a lot of times because they can't play defense. So. Um, I don't really have a great feel for where to put them. I guess they're going to be in that five to eight range out west, but man, they are—they could be really up and down. Where do you have them? I've got them as the five seed, just ahead of Timberwolves and Nuggets. I think my only worry with them, um, before I get onto the positives, I think Gallinari. I'm not convinced by him at the three. I know a lot of people say positions don't matter, but when your front court is Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan, positions do matter because that is not positionless basketball. There, I'm, I'm not fully convinced by Gallinari at the three. I don't think he's a great defender, and I think they may get shredded by sort of these small ball lineups. I know DeAndre is very good in the paint, but I, I'm not quite convinced by that. And and the other problem with that is as well, you look at someone like Lou Williams off the bench. For me, Lou Williams, his only place now is in um, three-guard lineups. But when you have Decker, Gallinari, Griffin, Harrell, Reed, and Jordan, I'm not sure you've got much room for three-guard lineups. So this is going to be, I think, a very traditional team, which is weird in this NBA. I think that's that's a really good point with Lou Williams um, finding a fit off the bench. I mean, 
you can get away with lineups with him and, and Austin Rivers. I don't know how much how many minutes you're really going to want to allocate to those guys. Um, you also kind of have to work Wesley Johnson, I guess, in because he's he's your sort of wing defender. Um, but yeah, um, Gallinari, that that's kind of the name I've got circled too. Um, you need Teodosic on the court to to make offense easier for the rest of the guys because it's it's really just Blake Griffin as a, as a shot creator. So he's gonna be on the floor. You put Danilo next to him. It's just uh, as much as I love Patrick Beverly and DeAndre Jordan to bookend that defensive rotation, I, I just don't see how they're going to get stops. Yeah, I, they're going to be, for me, a very inconsistent team, exactly have the, as they have been throughout the Dot Rivers era. They've got depth, but my question is whether they can get all this depth on the court because they could go 10 or 11 deep, which would be good for sort of rotating, keeping you guys fresh for the season. But I'm just... I'm not fully convinced by a lot of these. Like, for example, you've got Beverly, Rivers, Teodosic, and Williams all in the backcourt. Now, we've already talked about Williams. I like Austin Rivers as a defender, but if you're putting Rivers as a safety blanket for Teodosic, which is relatively likely, or Beverly, whoever you want to say, that just kind of limits you in the front court, I think. And I'm. I, I, Dot Rivers has got, I think, a harder job on his hands than people think making this work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, finding the right combinations, as I said at the top, is is going to be paramount to their success. Um, where are you with Blake Griffin being the guy? Not necessarily just as a scorer, but he it's it's his team now. It's clearly his team. He's got to be the leader. Um, the ball is going to be in his hands more often than it ever has been in the past. Do you think that's a role he could take on and lead a team to the fifth seed or better? I think he can, but I'd feel a lot better about it if Jordan wasn't there. I really like DeAndre Jordan, but I think now, I'm not saying Griffin should start at centre, I don't think he should, but I think they should be able to go sort of smaller, if that makes sense. But now that they've signed Willie Reed and Harrell to to reasonable deals, I don't, I'm just not quite convinced that they have plans to have Griffin at centre. Anything more than maybe for two or three minutes a game. No, that, that's an interesting point. Not something I consider because there was that kind of conversation so far the offseason with Blake being kind of a point forward. Um, I hadn't thought about going even smaller. Um, and, and you kind of want to do that with Danil there next to him. So that's a good point. Uh, and also Sam Decker coming off the bench. So um, I, I can kind of see your point there. But uh, it does sound like they want to extend DeAndre Jordan. So he's in the plans both now and in the future. So I guess that's not a direction they want to go in. No, and it's it's a shame because DeAndre is very good, but I think schematically he kind of he does limit this team slightly. He, um, he's a great defender, and the threat of the threat of the lobs it creates a lot of space, especially for back cuts and stuff like that. But DeAndre, as an offensive player, is someone who needs a very specific situation, in my opinion. And while he will put up, he'll probably lead the league again in true shooting percentage. But I'm just I'm convinced that his style of play may hurt this new roster because I don't I'm just I think put it this way we just talked about Blake Griffin as point four small if he'd gone to Miami who were one of the front runners for him that's exactly what he would have been doing this year I think Whiteside would have been gone from uh, 
from Miami. I'm just, I think Clippers have got a kind of, they've got guys like Decker, this very modern wing who can play the three and the four. And then you've got these two old fashioned centers in DeAndre Jordan and Willie Reed. It's just, it's, there's a lot of good players on this roster, but that, as I've mentioned, the, the fit does slightly concern me. Yeah, I mean, again, that's where I'm at. It's just, hey, how did all the pieces fit together? Um, how do they work together? I will say, thanks to Tia Dosich, they're probably going to be a lot of fun to watch at least. I mean, he's a guy you could just, just lock your eyes on him and, and let him create music on the court. So um, at least he'll be entertaining. Uh, with regards to Tia Dosich, before we go on to Sacramento, do you think he can win Rookie of the Year? Because he's actually one of my favorites, just because I think he's going to get a lot of assists. I think in most years, he. I think he'll be in the conversation. I think in most years, like last year, he certainly would, would have been in the mix. I think that Dennis Smith Jr. is just going to put up numbers so far beyond everyone else that it's not really going to be a race. Yeah, Ben Simmons is eligible as well, isn't he? That's true. I didn't even think about Ben Simmons. So those two guys, yeah, I, I think they're going to be so far ahead that a guy like Teodosic is sure is going to get overlooked. Yeah, but he's gonna. I think someone on someone I follow asked yesterday, uh, who's gonna be on the who's gonna be on the top ten plays most this year. You could Clippers are a pretty good bet, aren't they? Absolutely. They got a lot of these big play guys, and I'm quite excited for them. Before we go on to Sacramento, what seed have you got them in currently, or roughly? I've I've got them in that six seven range. I don't I don't think they're number five, but I think they're safely in the playoffs right now. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think Talon should, I mean, it really should win out. But we're going to move on to Sacramento now. Now, the Kings had a strange offseason because I thought they were going to embrace the rebuild, let De'Aaron Fox run riot this year and have a little go at the Luka Doncic, Michael Porter, uh, top of the draft. But they didn't really do that. They signed George Hill, Zach Randolph and Vince Carter, two of whom played with Jaeger. Actually, I'm not sure if Jaeger had Carter, but he certainly had Randolph. Uh, they let Darren Collison, Tyreek Evans, Langston Galloway, Rudy Gay, Ty Lawson, Ben Mecklemore, and Anthony Tolliver all leave. Uh, they did sign Bogdan Bogdanovich as well. What kind of ceiling do you see for this Kings team? This year, I mean, I, I think, you know, 35 wins is, is not crazy. Um, 25 wins, also not crazy. It's going to be very up and down, but uh, I wrote about them for the double clutch preview. They are one of my favorite teams in the league right now. After the Nets, obviously I'm a diehard Nets fan. Um, they are my favorite team right now. I love that the, the roster they put together. Um, they have a really, really intriguing mix of young players. And I know you seem like you're a little bit down on them going after like George Hill and guys like that. Uh, I like that because it, it gives them the veteran presence that you need. All these guys who have been in the league, they always talk about my veteran, the guy who showed them the ropes. Um, now guys like De'Aaron Fox do do have that leadership. So I really, really like this mix of, uh, of a roster they put together. Yeah, it's interesting to me because I saw actually a couple of Kings blogs that were saying that one of the problems they had in that sort of decade after Rick Adelman left was that they draft rookies and play them straight away. They wouldn't have to earn their minutes. They basically were entitled to a spot because they had no one else. But now uh, you've got sort of George Hill obstructing De'Aaron Fox and it means De'Aaron Fox is going to have to work for that time because if there's anyone who's consistent every night it's George Hill Mm -hmm. and you but the thing is you could also put them together in in the same backcourt they both have good size they both could defend ones and twos so it's not like it's just well if George Hill is getting 32 minutes that only leaves 16 minutes for 
De'Aaron Fox. You could play them together. So, and I think that's also going to help Fox's development, watching George Hill operate from the floor. So, um, I, I think it's it's a really smart move, and it's and Hill's a guy that you will be able to move once you feel that Fox is ready. Um, since since we're talking about him, he was one of my, he might be my favorite player in the entire draft class. What are your thoughts about De'Aaron Fox's future? I liked him. My main worry was I didn't think he was creative enough in the half court. That was my big worry. I think he's going to be, I mean, the John Wall comparisons, I wasn't convinced by. I think me and Jordan, I can't remember who he had. I can't even remember who I compared him to. But it was, my my big worry with him is that I did think he struggled a little bit in the half court. But what I will say is a guy like Buddy Heald is the perfect long-term back court partner for him and I actually want to talk about Heald because I'm not sure if you remember last year but everyone wrote him off at New Orleans after like what was it 20 games he played there (laughs) NBA they were I mean they were really harsh on this guy now what I will say is he does not have Steph Curry potential like Vivek thinks (laughs) but I think this guy can be a really good NBA player and actually he's one of the reasons I'm going to be watching a lot of this team and there's another guy we'll come on to in a minute but what do you think of Heald before we go on to the sort of front court no, you're dead on. On he's a really great compliment to De'Aaron Fox. Um, shot forty eight percent, forty three percent from downtown after the move to Sacramento. Um, we saw it in college at Oklahoma. He's a gunner. He's gonna put points up. But you know, he's also really athletic, and he doesn't get enough credit for that. So he's a guy who should also develop into a very capable defender. So he's a guy that you really like. And then they've got another guy who I think you might be getting to in Bogdan Bogdanovich, who's another gunner. So that's two gunners on the wing. That's a lot for other teams to, to kind of keep up with. So I think that that's a nice little mix that they've got going there. Yeah, I want to talk to you about Bogdanovich because you're a bit more clued in on sort of European basketball. Now, we've had a few guys come over in the last couple of years who have been hyped. Uh, Huertas is the sort of one that springs to my <laughs> mind. Is Bogdanovich worthy of the hype or is he going to be a sort of guy that people want to like just because he came from Europe? I think he's worthy of the hype. Um, he, he's obviously proven it at high levels of European basketball. He proved it over the summer at the Euros. He's got that NBA-ready skill that maybe we don't always see from European players and college players too. He's a scorer. He knows how to score. That's his focus. That's his, that's his whole MO. I'm going to get the ball. I'm going to put the ball in the bucket. So he comes in with that mindset, and I think that's what kind of separates him a little bit from a lot of the other wings who are just kind of smooth and have a versatile game. He's got that kind of laser focus on what he wants to accomplish when he's on the floor. Yeah, I've certainly heard that this guy isn't afraid to take big shots, and I think they lack that on this team because I don't think you want to be giving those to the rookies. I think Heald is a guy who needs the look created for him, and from what I I watched a lot of them at the end of last year, Dave Yeager doesn't strike me as the most creative coach in the league. So I think having a guy like like Bogdanovich could be could be very exciting to build around. But we're going to go on to their front court now because I really there's a guy I really like. And I don't know if he's as good as maybe I think he is, but Scalabissier became one of my favorite players to watch last year. That guy has got a ridiculous variety of post moves. He can hit from outside. I mean, I I, I don't know why he really slipped in the draft. He had a pretty poor last year for Kentucky. I mean, how good can this guy be? Do you see him as a cornerstone for this franchise? 
Absolutely. He's got that potential. And we're very insimpatico here. It's just, it's just weird for us. But um, yeah, you're right. He's he's long. He's athletic. He's going to be able to block some sh- block shots for you. More importantly, though, with his size, he's showing that range that you need to see from bigs. So he's guys clearly outpaying his draft position. I don't know why he slipped. That was kind of weird. Uh, it surprised a lot of people. He didn't look great at Kentucky in his one year there. But still, we knew he was long, he's athletic, and he has touch. So um, he's putting it together much faster than everyone kind of expected. So he's a guy who's, who kind of looks like that modern power forward um, who maybe could slide into a, to a center position too. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you on Scott's potential. If he continues to develop the way he did in the second half of last year, I don't see why he's not one of the two or three guys that the Kings are building around going forward. Yeah, he's a, he's a really important player because Dave Yeager runs his offense through the posts mostly. And when you when you watch Scout, there's so much gravity around the you know, There's cutters off of him. You've got people sort of coming round to give him a handoff option. I mean, when he is on the court, Dave Yeager is not afraid to give him that offensive load. And I'm, I'm really excited for him. And what do you make of his uh, partner, Willie Cauley-Stein? Because I've got to admit... When they had cousins and they made that pick, I genu- I we did a live pod. I laughed. I laughed at the pick because I thought you've got a franchise centre. Why are you drafting another one? But surely this is a great opportunity for him now in the post cousins era to sort of make his mark on this roster. Yeah, exactly. And and I I think I and a lot of people were with you on that. It was well, how does Willie Cauley Stein fit with Demarcus Cousins? Um, defensively, yes, it works because. If you ask them to guard point guards, Willie Cauley-Stein is the lone center footer in all the NBA who can do that. Um, his footwork on the perimeter, his agility is just insane for someone his size. Um, but it was still an, an odd mix. But now um, he doesn't have he doesn't have to play next to a true center. You could play him next to Scalabissier long term. That's a, that's a much better fit for him because because Scal can play in and out and handle all the offensive duties. Um, but also guard fours, defend threes if needed on switches. So um, I, I think Collison's got potential, and he's obviously going to need to make his mark defensively because he's not an offensive player. I do have questions, though, if he will be able to provide enough on the offensive end to really stick as a 30-35 minute a game center, though, in the NBA. Yeah, that's my worry as well. I think he's going to be one of those centers offensively who really needs the right sort of situation. I'm not convinced that Dave Yeager's offense is right for him. But before we sort of go on to a more uh, different sort of overview of this team, what did you make of the Zach Randolph signing? Because to me, I, I kind of look at him and I, I do think he might obstruct Labissier, or do you think we've got to look past that and just look at him as the veteran he is? I guess that all comes down to Jaeger and how much he's playing them. Um, I, I liked it in theory because as much as you as you like George Hill as a veteran presence in that locker room, not necessarily a tone setter. Zach Randolph, on the other hand, Definitely a tone center. He does stupid stuff off the court sometimes, like we saw this summer. But the reality is he he comes in, plays hard. He's a winner, uh, which he, he finally proved later in his career when he got to the Grizzlies. So he's going to be the guy that you presumably, that presumably will be setting the tone in the locker room and teaching these guys like Collie Stein and Labissiere and Papianas how to be tough, physical NBA front court players. 
Yeah, I think I think he is going to be a good veteran. My only concern is I I do wonder if Dave Yeager is going to put a quite heavy offensive load on him, which I'm not sure he can handle anymore. And even if he could, I think you want to keep the ball in the hands of Fox, of Hill, of Heald. Um, we've spoken about Scow, a guy. Um, a guy we didn't even mention as well that sort of they drafted was Justin Jackson, a guy who they have high hopes for. He's actually starting, so I and I'm I'm not convinced Randolph can do enough off the ball either. So he's this type of player who needs the ball in his hands really to create his own offense, and I'm just not convinced at the age of 36 that he can really do that anymore. Right, but if if you if you if Jaeger plays him 15 minutes a night and he's just kind of there to get to get the offense back on track and get tough, gritty buckets when the young guys maybe are going through a stretch where they're just really struggling. Um, I think that's a good fit. What do you think? Yeah, and what I will say is I think a lot of, they've got a lot of guys, Sacramento, who are quite happy to play off the ball. We've spoken about Heald, Jackson. Um, when we did our draft pods, we basically agreed that he's got a very low, a very low ceiling, but a very high floor as a player. And I can kind of see that he's going to be a guy who kind of scores in a lot of different ways, I think. But what I would also say is I think there is there comes a point when you can actually put too much on young guys. I've seen it with my team for years. We've kind of we've drafted guys and they've Derek Williams as an example. We had him taken a lot of shots when he first came to the league. And I actually believe that's a big reason that he's such a draft bust. So maybe having a guy like Randolph, who is quite happy to take that load, it could do a lot for the rest of the roster. No. Yeah. And that's exactly where, where I'm at with that signing. It was um, as long as he doesn't give the other, the young guys bad ideas off the floor. Um, he's kind of what you need. I mean, he's going to make the game easier for his for the young guys when it's necessary. So um, I, I don't like seeing young guys go through stretches where the game is just a constant struggle. They're not learning, they're not growing, and they're not having fun. When you have that guy who you just kind of take the pressure off of everyone for a few minutes, it, it really does make a difference. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's good that they're signing these types of players now rather than sort of overpaying guys who who were kind of good on okay teams. Right, and uh, these but... are good contracts, right? I mean, you got Zebo for a couple of years. Uh, Hill, it's a three-year deal, but it, it they could get out after two. So it's not like they're really bogging down their future payroll, which is it's just really smart from the Kings front office. No, before, yeah, before Scott Perry bolted to New York, he did some good work. Fantastic work. Yeah, a lot of good drafts. Uh, before we go on to the Lakers, I just want to go talk about their starting lineup. So their starting lineup in their last preseason game against the Clippers was, and it's likely to be their starting lineup on opening night, is George Hill, Buddy Hill, Justin Jackson, Zach Randolph, Willie Cauley-Stein. Um, when I looked at that, I kind of thought, I like that because that's a good mix of experience and youth. I mean, would you take that angle or do you think there's another guy who should be starting? No, I think that's a good mix. You get Fox coming off the bench probably, you know, 25 minutes a game to start um, and, and just see how he develops. Um, you got Labissiere who could play the four or the five who also needs to get minutes, so there's going to be plenty of playing time for him. Um, you could make an argument that maybe Bogdanovich should be in there over uh, Jackson, but, you know, it, it's going to balance out. So he could be, he'll play the two and the three and take minutes from Heald and, and from Jackson. So, yeah, I, I think they're doing the right thing here. Yeah, I agree. They're going to be certainly one of my League Pass teams. And for the record, I will be releasing a League Pass rankings on Double Clutch <laughs> before Tuesday, and they're going to probably be in the top 10. 
We'll go on now to the Lakers, a team who a lot of, I imagine you grew up disliking Jamie because they were so dominant. But now (laughs) I kind of feel sorry for them because they were expected to have a massive summer. They ended up trading, um, uh, what's his name? D'Angelo Russell to your Lakers. They signed KCP, who shot below 40% for the field last year. They got him on a one-year deal, and they've got Brooke Lopez. Uh, obviously, the big hype is around Lonzo Ball, but before we get on to him, I want to talk about the young core they already had. So, Brandon Ingram, Larry Nance Jr., Julius Randle, uh, Jordan Clarkson, I guess. What, did you, what do you make of their young core, minus the sort of guys that they've brought in? I'm sort of mixed. I think I kind of want to just limit the young core for now to Brandon Ingram. Um, I I think that Larry Nance is a really nice role player. Um, He's actually a really good fit next to Brooke Lopez, so that's nice. Um, I I don't know that Julius Randle has a long-term future there. Um, His contract's up. He's a nice player, but he's already coming off the bench as is now. So I'm not really sure where his his long-term future lies there. So I think that you kind of, I personally at least want to focus on, it's it's really, it's Ingram, it's Ball. Um, they've got Brooke Lopez for this year. He's not young. So that's kind of where my thinking is on, on their nucleus. And I got to tell you, Brandon Ingram doesn't look great right now. Um, how are you feeling about him? I mean, he's he's certainly got age on his side, but I've been concerned by his defense because a guy with sort of he one of the things actually people liked about him coming in was his sort of ranginess and his ability to to do a bit of everything. And he's not. I know it's only preseason. I don't want to bash on this guy. He's only played one year, and people can improve suddenly. You know, we've we've seen that before, but I've not seen much yet that I like. Yeah, and I mean, and he really doesn't look like he's he's got much going for him offensively either. Obviously, he needs he still needs to gain weight, um, and that stuff will come. But man, he I'm starting to get a little bit worried. I'll, I'll say about his development. I'm very curious to watch out through his season. Um, and then one one more I'll throw at you. Uh, do you think Randall is part of this future? No, I just don't think he's a fit. I think I think. I, I do quite like him. And actually, if you speak to Matt Wellington, our our boss, he's huge on Randall. Like he actually believes Randall last year was the best of their sort of young players. And I guys, and I I can kind of see that. And actually, I did enjoy watching him. I think a lot of guys on NBA Twitter had to admit they were wrong on him. But I'm just when I'm sort of looking at how this roster is going to come together, I'm not sure a face up four is kind of the best fit. If that makes sense. No, I'm with you, and and. Long term, you're probably going to want a moving Brandon Ingram to the four anyway. So, and you don't really want Randall at the five, I don't think. So, yeah, I, I think that's kind of a weird situation for him, and he could be an attractive trade piece to maybe improve the the young core they do have even further. Yeah, certainly. I think someone would take him on. I think a team with a stretch. I think a team with maybe a more stretch based center could could have a look at him, and and actually. But we're gonna we're gonna now move on to their rookie class because it's not just Lonzo Ball. We're gonna start with Kyle Kuzma. Um, they drafted this guy out of Utah. He has been a highlight machine. He is making big man moves. Uh, his post moves look like we just spoke about Zach Randolph. His post moves already remind me of his. The guy's twenty two. I mean, do you obviously Ball is the guy here? But 
how, do you think they got a stealing Cosmo or are people overreacting or is it a bit of both? Um, it's a bit of both. Obviously, we're overreacting because we've only seen him in summer league and preseason, so none of which means anything. But you're talking about a guy who was taken with the 27th pick. Um, the knock on him was, well, his offensive game is limited. He doesn't have a jump shot. And then we go to Las Vegas, and he is just bombing it from everywhere and making everyone else look silly. So um, it looks like they've got a steal. And he, the funny thing is, he looks a lot like what they expected Brandon Ingram to be. Yeah, that's that's what a lot of Lakers accounts have been saying, is that, yeah, they drafted Ingram at 2, they drafted Kuzma at 27, and Kuzma... So I mean I know he's you got to remember with Kuzma he's had a long college experience he was there for I think three or four years I think it's three he had so he does have that on his side and that's actually caused a lot of people to question sort of John Calipari's one and done style is that maybe should we keep these guys in college a bit longer jury's out on me for that but I mean we're going to go on to Lonzo Ball now though so a guy who unfortunately has a loudmouth dad who. Whenever you criticise, you get people in your mentions. Basically, a tip to any of you on Twitter, don't criticise LeVar Ball because you get the worst human beings in your mentions. Like You get people with like season in their username. It's just awful. But we'll talk about Lonzo Ball, the player, rather than rather than the person. How, I mean, how good do you think he is? Because I looked at a lot of draft boards. I saw some have him actually at one. I saw some have him at like nine or ten. What do you think of him in his rookie year? I think he's going to have a very productive rookie year. Um, obviously, rookies, second-year players, too. That doesn't really translate to, to positive basketball. It takes a couple of years. Um, the big thing for him this year is, can he start to, to develop his pick-and-roll game and his half-court game? We know he's going to be really good in transition and when things kind of break down a little bit. That's where his comfort zone is. Um he needs to focus on learning the intricacies of pick-and-roll basketball now. That's going to ultimately determine what his ceiling is in the NBA. But um, he's he's already made um, he's already transformed the Lakers to a small extent. Um, Coach Nick on Twitter, the B-Ball Breakdown guy, he's on this a lot. He's a great passer, Lonzo Ball, and that makes other guys want to pass the ball and share the ball, and that makes your team better. So he's had a positive influence on this team. Uh, what do you think about him? I'm really glad you brought up the X's and O's because that's exactly that was going to be one of my talking points. So, I follow a couple of Laker. If you, I'd recommend following Laker Film Room on Twitter. They do brilliant analysis of, especially if you're a Lakers fan. But one of the things they've said is that in um, in preseason, I know it's preseason. I don't, I don't want to keep banging that drum, but they have run an, an unholy amount of transition possessions. And the question is, so if they run it at this rate in the regular season, it will be the highest percentage of transition possessions ever recorded in the NBA. Now, I think they're going to be very reliant on the on the sort of full court as opposed to the half court game. I wouldn't surprise me if they were top five in fast break efficiency, bottom five in half court efficiency. But Luke Walton, um, sort of going on to the X's and O's, Lakers writers are mostly quite critical of his tactical side of his game it looks too basic he's kind of too reliant on basic actions there's not enough creativity is he the right coach to guide ball through this because personally i'd like to have seen ball under a more experienced coach um 
I'm a little bit biased because I'm a huge Arizona Wildcats fan. Luke Walton's one of the best players I've ever seen there. Um, I do think he's a pretty darn good coach for Lonzo Ball. Um, Luke Walton is, had a very cerebral game. Uh, he was a great passer um, from all areas of the court. So he's he kind of understands that thinking and knows how to develop that kind of style of play that Lonzo Ball is going to need to play. Um, I... You know, I, I can't really. I don't see where the where the fit is wrong right now. Um, it, if you had Popovich, yeah, you're going to do better in the half court. But I, I think Lou Walton, he's young. Players listen to him. We, we saw what he did with Golden State when Steve Kerr was out. Um, I, I think he's a good coach. I think he's a solid coach, and I think he's a guy that players listen to and respect. So I'm personally a fan. It sounds like though you're maybe not so convinced. Yeah, I've one of the things I'm trying to do more this year is kind of I know it's going to sound really sad, but I I now when I watch games I kind of look at the plays and the sets a little bit deeper rather than just sort of, you know, watching it as a fan, which I still do sometimes, but when I watched a lot of the Lakers sets last year, I just didn't think much of them. Now, one thing I will say, I've watched them in preseason and they're running a lot more downhill action, which I think is great. I think that's the best way to get the best out of KCP and Ball because KCP shot under 40% from the field last year, as I jokingly mentioned earlier. And I'm convinced the best way to get the best out of this backcourt for now is just to play fast. And you sort of do your work with Ball in the half court in the uh, film room and stuff like that. No, I agree. I mean, you could... Let's just say you go get a, a Scott Skiles, who's you know he wants who wants to play that slower half court possession smart basketball, okay, and and that's where Lonzo struggles. But I mean, do you really want a guy like Scott Skiles trying to deal with all these guys with with all this offensive upside? I I don't think I do. No, I think I think Skiles is done in the NBA for the record. I don't think anyone will ever hire that guy again. But. I, I the the one thing I do like about Walton is he's not I think the best I personally believe the best way to get the best out of young players is to play as loose a system as possible. Now you've got to have some X's and O's. You don't just go to a mutiny or go and play basketball like um we've had Kurt Rambis, that was basically what he did. He went just run out, go and run the hell around. But I kind of I do think Walton's system. I don't think he should try and recreate the Golden State system. He does not have the shooters for that. He does not have the passing for that either outside the ball. I don't think. But I think if they're going to run a, a system with a lot of pin downs, a lot of sort of coming off the screen, just attacking the paint, I think they could be okay. My one worry is I'm not sure they've got enough uh, front court shooting. That's my one worry for this team because they paid Luol Deng that ridiculous contract. Corey Brewer can't shoot. You've got, I get Randall's not a great shooter. They've signed Bogut. Uh, Lopez, I mean, what do you think of him as an outside shooter? Do you think that's legit? He, I mean, last year, it was he's always had that good jump shot. Uh, he never took it to three-point range up until last year. So he he's got the skill to be a, a shooter from 18 to 25 feet, no problem. Um, he, he's not going to be an, an agile shooter. He's not going to be able to shoot from different platforms and all that stuff. But as a spot-up shooter, that's totally legit. Um, he's going to space the court. So I think if, if Brandon Ingram can start hitting some shots too, I think that's going to really be a, a dynamic sort of scoring front court for them. I don't think that Brandon Ingram's there yet though. 
Now, there's certainly a couple of guys on this roster that, that have a have a lot of development to do. Before we go on to the Suns, uh, there's two things I want to pick up on. So I'll very quickly go to KCP, who was, for some reason, a max contract candidate. Your Nets were expected to sort of cause chaos in the market by offering him a monster deal. Are you kind of glad you didn't do it? Or do you actually think this is a good place for him, the Lakers? Because he's going to be in a big market maybe get a little bit more recognition than he did Detroit? So anyone who has made the unfortunate mistake of following me on Twitter knows that I do not like Contavious Caldwell Pope as a basketball player. And there's even some rumors to not really love him off the court either. Um, I I don't see how he was worth a max contract. Um, The one thing he does well, he denies penetration to point guards as well as anybody in the league. He doesn't do anything else well on the basketball court, though. Uh, he's not a good shooter. Uh, he struggles to defend wings, which is a, not good because he's a six foot five wing himself. Um, he doesn't provide any rebounding or passing. So to me, I'm not really sure what this guy's value is other than stopping penetration from point guards. So uh, in one respect, he's a really good fit next to Lonzo Ball, who now doesn't have to guard point guards. Um, but outside of that, what is he giving you? I mean, he's he's a $10 million a year player at best. This was always my issue. I've brought up the sub 40% field goal now. This is the fourth time I've brought it up in the last 10 minutes. But ultimately, that was what I looked at. I, I, know, I know that things do run deeper than numbers. But the ultimate, the ultimate sort of test is he did not shoot well. And he doesn't make up for that by being a great playmaker i.e. you know someone like Ricky Rubio I know they're different positions but I think if you're going to shoot that poorly you have to have some skill on offense I mean I would consider something like offensive rebounding a skill he just doesn't he doesn't have any skills and that that was why I was never on that train like a lot of people say Minnesota should let Wiggins go and get this guy and I mean that's just rubbish I mean that's insanity and the other thing everyone talks about KCP's defense I mentioned the denying penetration. If you look at the field goal percentage he allows opponents, though, it's always better than average. Opponents shoot better against KCP than they do against the rest of the league. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm with you. I just he's a decent fit next to Ball because he can cross match defensively, but phew, I wouldn't pay him. No, me either. I I actually do like the fact that they've just got him on a one year deal because they got nothing to lose from that. And if he is any good. Um, Let's say he does thrive in this system. He might be loyal to them and stay, but we'll see. Um, last question before we go on to the Phoenix Suns. Uh, what's this, What's your sort of prediction? Because I've got them currently as the 14 seed, just above the team we're about to talk about. Um, yeah, I think 13, 14. Um, I think, you know, just in that 30 win range is where I've got them. I do like the addition of Brooke Lopez, but... Um, as I know all too well, if Brook Lopez is your best player, which he is, you're really not going that far. No, I completely agree with that. We're going to move on to Phoenix now. Um, shout out to Ross McLeod, longtime contributor, Phoenix Suns fan. Uh, the Suns are a team that a lot of people haven't watched a lot of. We kind of, everyone jokes about Earl Watson, for example, but I don't think a lot of people watch enough Suns game to maybe make those connections uh i love their young core what i do question is whether they've got the right system in place to get the best out of it i mean where do you stand on this core actually that that's an interesting point I, i'd like to hear what you th- why you think they don't have the right system what's going on there 
Well, first of all, I when I look at sort of their half court sets, I think they. In fact, the one thing that really annoyed me when I watched them last year, I don't know what point Earl Watson was trying to prove, but he kept running two big lineups. I saw a lot of lineups where they've had Lennon, Alan Williams, or I even saw Lennon Chandler a couple of times. I what I don't know what he's trying to prove with that. I have no idea what he's doing. I just think. In terms of the X's and O's, I think it's too basic. I think offensively, they just kind of give the ball to Booker. And and I really like Devin Booker, by the way. I want to make that very, very clear. I think people underrate him. But I just think... I know I just praise Luke Walton for running a loose system. I think the Sun system is a little bit too loose. And that's my concern. I don't think Watson has shown anything. I think there's... He's not. It doesn't seem to be a very creative guy. His, his the comments he makes on the team are just strange. I think it was Ross who was telling me that he wanted it was either Bender or Chris to be taking ten three pointers a night, and I don't think he was joking either. That's frightening. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I don't think that's a recipe for anything good. <laughs> no, and they've got Tyrone Corbin on their staff as well, who is one of the worst coaches I've ever seen in the NBA. So th- that's my big worry with this team. I think. Th- I mean, I think this young court is really good. And actually, I would like this young court if Jeff Hornacek was still the coach. Because I think I actually liked Hornacek and Phoenix the first time. And I think it's a, it was actually, ironically, a better fit with kind of what he wanted to do than the roster he had at the end of his reign. That's an interesting point on Hornacek. Um, and I, I do share a lot of your concerns on Earl Watson. Um, I don't know that he's the right guy for this job. Um, at the same time, I don't know who is necessarily the, the ideal candidate, let's say, for this job. Well, I, I personally, I think they should have rang up David Blatt yesterday and, and got him in. I think he'd be a great fit with this roster. That's not a bad shout, David Blatt. Um, but so here's here's where we are with the Phoenix Suns. And here's probably why we're see- it could be or wasn't insanity, but here's probably why we are seeing some of these ridiculous lineups. So they've got... A bunch of bigs who don't necessarily have uh, skill sets that fit together that who all need time in the court. So you've got your veteran leader, Tyson Chandler. You've got Alex Sun, who was a high lottery pick. And then the, the two rookies last year, Dragon Bender, Marquise Chris. All guys over six foot ten who are playing at minimum the four, probably need to play the five. So they need to figure out ways to develop these kids. Um, get Chandler his minutes so he's not grumpy. So it's, it's a really messy roster. The pieces don't fit together. Um, what I'm looking for this year is which of these, in the front court at least, which of these three kids is, is going to take the step forward? Alex Len looked very good in the preseason, Bud's preseason. Marquise Chris, he's an enigma right now. And Bender is probably a couple years away. So we need to see some sort of development and growth. And look, here I could be a real NBA player from one of these three guys at, at a minimum. Yeah, that's the thing. Like They've got a lot of good players, but it's at the moment, Booker is obviously one you're going to build around. Mm-hmm. And I think this is the year where we find out who the other ones are. guy we've not mentioned is TJ Warren. He's got a nice contract. He was really, he was really good at the end of last year. And I personally, I believe that player is sustainable. Absolutely. And if TJ Warren um, was a more willing three-point shooter, he'd be a household name throughout the league. As is, he's still a very solid player, a player that any team would be very happy to have. He's a smooth scorer, and he's also the Suns' best perimeter defender. So um, he's a really nice piece. I love Josh Jackson in the draft. How did you feel about him? 
Um, I liked him, but I did think people who had him as like the second best prospect were overhyping a bit. Interesting. How come? I just preferred, I mean, it was mainly because I love Dennis Smith. Uh, I really liked Malik Monk. I do tend to overvalue offense, as as I'm sure my Twitter followers have seen. And I gravitate more towards those guys than defensive guys. But I did, I did like the Josh Jackson hype to an extent. But a lot of people made comps with Andrew Wiggins. I I, I didn't see that at all myself. All no. the only the only thing in common is they went to the same college. Right. Yeah. I I don't see that comp at all. Um, there were at times. Um, you're, don't roll your eyes at this. It's, it's more a, a style um, and a skill set. Scotty Pippen. Um, we know that Josh Jackson is going to be a hyper intense competitor defensively and very good defensively, but he's also kind of got that point forward skill set on offense. So um, I could kind of see him being that style of player. Yeah, he's he's certainly. I mean, do you see him? What kind of role do you think he's going to have on the offense side of the ball? Because as we know, Booker is quite ball dominant. Do you think Jackson is going to be at his best as sort of the second or third option on a team rather than the first? Well, I think his his jump shot, the mechanics are ugly, but it goes in. So I think you can rely on him as a, as a spot-up shooter at times. Um, but he's also a guy who's going to create his own points. He'll, he'll get you know points in transition. He'll get his points... Uh, offensive rebounding and Booker's a guy you want coming off screens and scoring he could Josh Jackson can credibly be the secondary ball handler next to Bledsoe so while Booker's looking and creating his own shots off the ball Jackson could be the secondary distributor yeah and I actually want to talk to you about about Bledsoe I completely agree with you by the way on Jackson as that sort of secondary ball handler but Bledsoe he's been I think he's been the trade target for about 18 teams for the last four off seasons um do you do you think he's i mean he's very very good let's get that clear he's in my top 50 quite comfortably i think he was about 35 ish above quite a lot of good point guards he he's 27 i think do you do you think they see him as part of the long-term plan because whenever they sort of make graphics of you know our future he's never in them right and i think that's is one of the more compelling trade slash roster building questions around the league right now is where is Phoenix with with Eric Bledsoe because he's he's right there in the middle of well is he part of our future or is he not part of our future he's almost kind of exactly what you want at point guard for the rest of the roster I mean he's the kind of the prototype he's downhill he's aggressive he could create shots for himself or other players he's not a pure point guard but he's a scorer he takes pressure away from everyone else so from that extent you love him, but then you do have to deal with the age and the fact that he is injury prone. So um, I would hate to lose his on-court leadership, uh, especially with, with the young big men that they have. But I think if, if you can kind of set yourself up to get a younger version of him, either in the draft or through trade, I, I think it makes sense for Phoenix to trade him. What, what do you think? It's a difficult one because the question always is for Phoenix is in return they obviously don't want front court players. We've just spoken about that logjam. I mean, what would you want in ret- what would you what kind of return could someone offer that you'd go, yeah, that's really going to fit what we're going to do because they don't need any more young players. Uh, that maybe they need a point guard back, but I don't see why a team would 
trade a point guard for another point guard. Booker is locking down that two-guard spot. You've just spoken about Josh Jackson, and they've got loads of centres. The question is, what kind of return would be nice for them? Yeah, and that's the thing. I think um, you're talking about at only at the trade deadline. You can't really do it before then because you need you need his leadership. Um, you're you're just talking about draft compensation, uh, draft compensation at this point. So um, it, it's a tricky spot for them. Um, and the other thing is when you do look at this upcoming draft, well, it's 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 heavy on front court players and light on back court players. So um, he might be a guy that they just have to keep because. You need someone to play the point card. Yeah, you're certainly right, and I, and I think they they've they're quite high on Tyler Ulis as well out of Phoenix, point guard as well. I mean, what do you think he's a legit guy to maybe push Bledsoe, or do you think he's just a bench point guard? I think he's got a shot. Um, obviously, if if he returns just taller, he'd be the starting point guard already. Bledsoe would be gone. Or at the same time, though, he wouldn't have lasted as, as long as he did in the draft. So um, he's super talented. He knows how to play the game. He knows how to run the point. He can score. He can pass. He can do it all. He's just five foot nine. Uh, how do you feel about Ulysses? I really liked him last year. Actually, I was pleasantly surprised because he was a guy that um, I think Kentucky fans. I mean, I'm a I'm a Michigan State. I wouldn't call myself a fan, but what I'm trying to get at is college fans kind of overrate their prospects at times. I did it with Denzel Valentine, so I I do feel where they're coming from, but he really, really surprised me. I mean, if there was a redraft, he would not have gone in the second round. Someone would have taken a punt on him, maybe as high as sort of the late first, middle first. Certainly, I mean, Memphis took Wade Baldwin. I think they'd swap for Tyler Ulis in a... In a heartbeat, so I I was really impressed by him. I do I do have some concern about the size, but I think if he keeps producing, I think they're just going to forget about their defense for now. I think all they want to do is develop these players. I don't think they're too worried about results. I don't think they're worried about installing a defensive system quite yet. Um, I think I'm with you. I think he's got a real shot to push Eric Bledsoe. Absolutely. And you know what? He is a guy that you could just throw out there, even if it's for this year and next year. And you don't really have to worry about the offense suffering He's and the and the young guys struggling to develop. He's the type of player who can make the game easier, which is what you want to do when you're developing young talent. So I think in terms of that, if, if you're not worried about wins and losses right now, which they shouldn't be, yeah, you could certainly get away with Eulis for long stretches. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And I'm I'm quite excited for this team. They're going to be middle on my league pass rankings. I think I like the unpredictability. I'm interested to see Josh Jackson. And the thing I'm most interested in is who emerges as that franchise cornerstone. Right. How do you Bender and Chris? Um, we haven't really talked about Bender and Chris. How do you feel about those guys? Well, uh, before we traded. Chris Dunn for Jimmy Butler, I tweeted that the fact we took Dunn over Chris was going to haunt me for the rest of my life. Now, obviously, that's not going to haunt me anymore, but I really like Chris. I think he's going to be a very solid NBA player. I think he's going to expand that range. He shot about 32% last year. Now, I would argue that the system 
isn't ideal for him. I just think they kind of used to dump it off to him at the end of the shot clock. I think if, if they're a little bit more creative with how they get him open, this is why I talked about Hornacek. Hornacek did a great job with Channing Fry. Do you remember that one year they had where they nearly made the playoffs mm-hmm. and Channing Fry was incredible? I would have loved to have seen Chris in that scheme. I'm a huge fan of him. Bender, I think, is much more of a project. I think he looked very raw, but I can see all the tools there and I can see why they chose him over a couple of other guys, sort of, you know, healed Murray, those kind of guys. Yeah, I'm in a similar boat. I think I, I kind of have the two guys flipped a little bit, though. Um, I love what Bender brings defensively. Um, he's another one of those rare seven-footers who just moves their feet and is so agile. So I think he's the guy who I feel more confident about long-term. Um Whatever you end up getting from him offensively is probably going to be enough because he's just going to be so good defensively in what you need in today's NBA. Chris has all the tools. I'm a little bit worried, though, that even in college, he never did put it together. So I'm kind of, I just, I really want to see him just take that next step, learn from a guy like Josh Jackson, who is hyper competitive, hyper intense, and just go out there to kick everyone's ass. Yeah, I think we're certainly, it's going to be an interesting race. Before we go on to the sort of prediction for for the Suns, who do you, do you think you can build around both of these guys or do you think ultimately it's going to be one or the other? I think you can because I, th- I think Bender can play the five. We know Chris can play the four. So I, th- especially with Chris's offensive ability, Bender's defensive ability, I think it might work. I don't think it will work, but I think it might work. Yeah, I, I certainly, all I want to see from them is a better system in place for them to sort of, you know, get get the best out of these guys. But I guess that doesn't need to come yet. And what we'll finish on, I guess, are they, I mean, I'm sort of talking about the tank race now, tank for Donkic or Porter or, um, what's, oh my God, I forgot the other guy's name. His name's uh, just Porter Doncic. You got Aiton. Um, Aiton, that was yeah. it. Yeah. So are they in the? They're currently number one in my tank race because they play in the harder conference. I've got them in that in the top th- three or bottom three, however you want to refer to it. I think it's hard to. What, uh, Bulls and Magic, is it? Or Bulls, uh, and, Bulls and Hawks. Oh, oh, wow. I mean, who do the Hawks have outside of Schroeder? Yeah, they don't have a lot, but they do have Mike Boonholzer. That's fair. They do have the win. coaching advantage, yeah. Yeah, they, that's that's the one thing like that they've the advantage they've got over all these teams. I'm I I don't think Phoenix should be in a hurry to win. I think there's no need for them. They've got a, what I'm quite interested to see actually that I think there are a couple of teams on the down in the uh, West. You've got Memphis, whose core is getting old. Um, I'm not convinced, as you know, by Sacramento. You've got Dallas, sort of just slightly sliding I think Phoenix in a couple of years can really take advantage of that absolutely and I think with Jackson and Booker um, if Jackson develops I think they've got a real chance to make a huge leap not this year but in a year or two you could see that you know that season where they they win 15 or 16 more games than they did the year before yeah, I'm I'm with you, and I'm I'm certainly very excited for this division. There's some really interesting teams in here, but we will end it there. Uh, have you got anything else you want to say about any of the Pacific teams or anything basketball related? Uh, I really miss Brook Lopez, but that, that's about it. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, I've always been a fan of him as well. 
I think he's he's been very underrated. But yeah, we hope you enjoyed this podcast. And we've also released our season guide. And I would imagine there'll be a few features out. But it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from Jamie.